Well, good morning. Ooh, let's try that one more time. Good morning. There we go. There we go. I tell you, it's, uh, by the way, children, thank you for that, whoever that was that shouted that out. That's what I like to hear on a morning. It is so good to see you all. It is good to be here at Southside Baptist Church, faithfully proclaiming the Word of God, worshiping according to the Word of God, being in worship. This should be a delight to us today, a celebration, if you will. Um, we should be excited to be in the house of the Lord today. So I hope that you are as, as excited as I am. I know I was asking around. Some of you guys seem a bit subdued today and a bit calm. Almost feels like it should be one of those days where we're sitting in a hammock uh, by the water or maybe in a rocking chair thinking on life. Um, but here we are, and we're here together uh, for the purpose of worship and for the purpose of studying the Word of God. So for that, I am thankful. Now, I did run into a couple of you this morning who uh, confessed to me that you had not had your morning cup of coffee. And uh, don't worry, you're uh, not alone. I was in that same boat until a brother in Christ came to me with a large cup of coffee, and now I am feeling really good. So if you came in looking for a subdued, melancholy, calm pastor today, uh, this is not your day for that, okay? So I uh, just wanted to be clear and upfront about that. So I do want to welcome you, welcome you back into our study and our series that we're calling uh, For the Church and how we are church. Now, I shared with you last week that I wanted to take a look at several different phrases that I hope would define us as a church as we move through uh, 2020. Now, last week, we talked about what it means to be together as one. We discussed how, as a church, we should be together for one another, locking arms with one another, uh, like what we see with Jonathan and his shield bearer when his shield bearer said to him, for I am with you heart and soul. And so we talked about how we are to be together for one another, locking arms in that way. Now, this week is no different as we move forward. I want to move into the statement that I'm hoping will also de de define us this year. Um, we talked about being again together as one this week. I want us to talk about how we as a church are to be a place where we teach faithfully. Now, let me unpack that for you if I could or define it better if I could. You see, I want our church, not just the American Evangelical Church, because you see, I'm one pastor here at Southside Baptist Church, so I can't worry about the rest of the churches and what they're doing, but here at Southside Baptist Church, I want our church to be known as a church where the scriptures guide us. I want us to be a church where we seek counsel according to the Word of God. I want us to be a church where when we seek mission, we seek movement, we do so according to the Word of God. You see, I want people, when they look upon us here at the Faith Family at Southside Baptist Church, I want them to be able to say of us, those people, they are people of the book, just as Christians were originally called uh, as far back as the days of the Old Testament. So you see, to be called people of the book, this is not just people of any book. 
It's not just people of any teaching, but knowing what the Word says and then ultimately living out that very Word. You see, today we live in a time where too many churches are turning away from the Word of God. It's like we read in Scripture today in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul warns Timothy that a time was coming where people would turn away from the truth and turn to what it is their itching ears want to hear. You see, we as a church in the United States, we have turned into politically charged social justice warriors where we care more about feeling and what we feel and what the people feel around us than they do about the truth that comes from the Word of God alone. You see, the reality is if we could be honest in our country, if we could just stop for a moment and think about this, our capital T truth, which is the Word of God, has been watered down to fit whatever specific narrative that people are talking about or whatever narrative it is that they want to share. You see, we no longer stand upon conviction anymore, nor do we know the Word whatsoever. What we attempt to do is we sit down with the Word of God, we read a verse that seems like it makes sense to what we want to believe, and then we say things like this, well, I feel like God is saying this to us. And the reality is that is not the Word at all. You see, the truth is when we get to that point, we barely know the word and therefore since we barely know the word we can say we barely know God in fact I would argue here in the United States many churches have abandoned the living blood of Jesus Christ and have therefore settled for some sort of watered kool-aid version of who Jesus Christ is now some people have defined what's happening this phenomenon in the church and they've defined it this way they call it moralistic therapeutic deism now to break that definition down for you in simple layman terms that's literally when we as believers buy into a feel-good gospel where God is some sort of magic genie who does all that we command in other words, we dictate to God what it is that we want done. And then when we are done with God, we put him back into his lamp or back into his box, and then we move on until the next thing that we need comes along, and then we rub the lamp or we open the box, and out pops God, and we tell him, and then he grants our wish. You see, the reality is, that is not our God. That is not the God of Isaiah chapter 6, who at the sound of worship, at the sound of the people crying out of his voice, the thresholds and the temple was shooken and or shaken and was filled with smoke. That is not the same God who in Job came before Job in the midst of a storm and said to Job, stand before me, stand like a man, brace yourselves for I will question you and you shall answer me. And then God asked the first question which was this, where were you when I spoke the heavens and the earth into existence? You see this, this Kool-Aid moralistic therapeutic deism God that our society has bought into that's not the same God of the book of Revelation who tells us how it all will end and we see that when it ends he alone will be victorious 
that is not some sort of magic genie God. But the reality is, that's the God we want to worship here in the United States. You see, it wasn't that long ago I was actually listening to uh, the radio, and I heard a, a Christian DJ come on the radio, and they said these words. They said that this past year they had not spent any time reading the Word of God, and they went on to say that that was t- freedom in knowing God, and God was okay with that lack of reading. Well, here's my question for that DJ, and it was actually a question I sent in form of an email to them. How do you even know that there is grace in freedom if you do not read and study the truth of God? Better yet, what about God's wrath? How do you know if you don't read? What would you say in that moment if you say, well, I have not read the Bible and I'm a Christian for a year, and then we say to you, well, you do know that our God is a vengeful God as well, and our God is just. How will you know if you never read? You know, not too long ago, I was visiting with another church, and I was listening to another pastor proclaim truth from the Word of God, and the truth they spoke of was a truth that I had never heard of before, nor had ever read, and they began speaking to the church on what it means to do the next right thing. And I thought to myself, man, they must have got that from the brilliant theologian known as Anna from Frozen 2. That's amazing. I heard that same song as well. And so I kind of chuckled at myself and I was like, well, let me listen. And this is what they went on to say. They said, as believers in Christ, we are called to do the next right thing. And if you do the next right thing, then you will be blessed abundantly. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the yellow flag went up for me right there as I was listening. I was like, I'm not quite sure that's what Scripture speaks of, but let's see how they define abundantly. So they went on to define abundantly, and this is what was said. They said, if you do the next right thing, then you will be blessed abundantly. You will be blessed with good health. You will be blessed with long life. You will be blessed with finances. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I was waiting on this pastor to look at the camera and say, now, if you will put your hand on the screen, you will be blessed. But you see, I wasn't watching this on TV. I was actually in a place that they called church. And that's what was being taught. Well, here's the question I would love to ask that pastor today is this. Is if you truly believe that the next right thing, if you do the next right thing, you will be blessed abundantly with good health and good finances. Then let me ask you this. How do you explain that to someone who's dying of a terminal disease? Where is the glory of God in that? if it's truly about doing the next right thing. Better yet, would you walk into a church and tell them, if you do the next right thing, then God will bless you. God will give you all that you want. God will give you all that you can imagine. God will give you all of your finances. God will give you everything you could ever hope for. He will give you long life. He will give you good health. He will give you all these things if you do the next right thing. How would he explain that during Jesus' day and in Paul's day to churches like the church at Galatia or the church at Ephesus? How would he say that to them? How would he say that to churches who are facing persecution every day? And I'm not talking about the the quote-unquote persecution we're experiencing here in the United States. This This is not quite persecution. I'm talking about the churches where when you can walk into the doors just by being a believer in Jesus Christ, you could be killed. By being a believer in Jesus Christ, you could be put in prison. 
How would you explain that to them? You see, the reality is this pastor can't because it's not what Scripture teaches. You see, the Word of God needs to be a priority in our life. The Word of God is not just that one thing the pastor stands before you and says each and every day. The Word of God is not that one thing that the worship pastor does and just sings to you. No, the Word of God should be a priority in our life that it permeates everything that we do and it permeates who we are. You see, Nehemiah and Ezra understood this all too well. You see, they understood the importance of knowing the Word, because it is the Word of God that becomes a guide for our hearts, a guide for our minds, and will guide us through our lives. So just as Nehemiah uh, expressed and, and shared with the people, we too need to know the Word of God. Now, we are not in Nehemiah this morning. We've already covered Nehemiah. However, this morning, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to find ourselves in Psalm 119. And as you're turning there, I'm going to make this really easy for you. Psalm 119 is right smack in the middle of our Bible. And when you look at Psalm 119, especially beginning in verses 169, we see a passage that points us directly to the importance of knowing the Word. Now, I know many of you who are turning there now are going, thank you, Pastor, that you're starting with verse 169 because I was afraid you were about to start at verse 1 and walk all the way through 176. Now, we could do that, but we'll be here for a little while. But for the sake of time and argument and understanding the truth of being able to teach the Word of God faithfully, let's just look at Psalm 119 beginning in verse 169. And if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. In Psalm 119 beginning in verse 169, we read, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me for I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to study your word. And God, I pray that in these next few moments that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for your truth and what it is that you have for us today. Father, I pray that in these next moments that you and you alone will be glorified. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to to worship you through giving, worship you through service. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you through song. And now in these next few moments, I pray that you and you alone will be glorified as we worship you through uh, the study of your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. 
And we ask now that you'd prepare us for these next few moments. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could give you a bit of background before we jump into this, Psalm 119 is actually the longest psalm that we have. It actually is 176 verses, as you can clearly see by the section that we're reading today. Now, when you look at Psalm 119 and you compare it to the rest of the books of the Bible, this is actually the largest book found in the Bible. And so this whole psalm, when you read it from verse 1 all the way through to verse 176, we see that it's broken down into sections based upon the Hebrew alphabet. So when you look at this psalm in its context, in its entirety, you will see that this entire psalm is about the celebration that comes from knowing the Word of God. So in our verses today, the tall section, if you will, this is the last section of Psalm 119. Therefore, what we can already conclude is that these are the final words of the importance of celebrating Scripture. You see, by singing this psalm, by praying this psalm, just as we see in Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 112, we are celebrating God's Word. We are singing God's Word as admiration to Him. So in our text this morning, we are going to learn that if we forget everything that happens in Psalm 119, from verse 1 through verse 168, then this final section, verses 169 through 176, these words, like Paul's words in 2 Timothy, these words are the words that we need to remember. So let's just go back and look at this and break it down together. In verse 169, again we read, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you and deliver me according to your word. Now this cry and plea that we're reading here from the psalmist is for a better understanding and clarity that can only come from the word of God. You see, the believers here are pleading with God. They are crying out to him to deliver them or to rescue them based upon the word and the promises that have already been found in scripture. You see, the people have already seen and heard the stories of God's rescue. They've already seen and heard the stories of God's deliverance. And so by crying out and pleading, they are asking God to do it again. Lord, what we've already seen and heard you do, we are asking that you would do again. You see, the people are wanting to be reminded of the promises of God according to his word. You see, as believers today, when we read this text, we too should seek the word of God. And not just to seek it for just the fun of it or to check it off a list, not to simply seek it so that we would find ourselves in these stories. Rather, what we need to be reminded of is the victories and the hope that can be found in knowing God. 
You see, when we read Genesis, we need to read Genesis knowing that it is God who restores. When we read Nehemiah, we need to see that it is God who takes walls and homes and ultimately hearts, and he restores them back to him. When we read books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, we need to be reminded of the promises of the hope that are coming in the coming Messiah. And then we get to the Gospels. And it's when we read the Gospels, we read of the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ, and we know that Christ is with us, Christ is near us, and in Christ there is victory, and that one day the church will be victorious. Then we get to the book of Acts, and we see the church begin to grow and thrive and flourish. Even in the midst of persecution, they still find themselves victorious because of the plan of God. And then you get all the way through the Pauline letters and into Revelation, and we see the ultimate victory that awaits for those who believe in Jesus as Lord. You see, that is the power of the Word of God. Now, the reality is we don't come to this conclusion on our own. Rather, we have to do what it says in Psalm 119, verses 169 and 170. We have to cry out for the Word. We have to plead for the Word. We have to seek the Word, and we have to believe the Word. When we come to our Sunday seminars on Sunday night, or into Sunday school, or even when we come into service, we should be crying out to God, Lord, give us the book. Remind us of your truth. Remind us of the victory that is found in your word. Psalm 119 continues in verse 171. It says, My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Here we see the words lips and tongue, and how it's our lips and our tongue that should declare God's praise in song. In other words, hear this from Psalm 119, verses 171 and 172. As believers in Christ, we should be singing. I'm going to say that again. As believers in Christ, we should sing. Do you understand that? As believers, we are called to sing. Nowhere in the Bible does it say come into service and keep your lips sealed and tap your toe. Nowhere in the Bible does it give you a qualifier and say, you should sing unless you sound horrible, then don't sing at all. You don't see that in the Word of God. No, when we gather with believers, when we gather for worship, God doesn't care how you sound. He just wants you to sing. And you know what he says? He says it's beautiful because you're praising him. So when we come together to sing, let us sing praises to God, declaring his word in song, declaring back to him his promises. Do you realize this is all Psalms is? It doesn't matter what you read in Psalms from the beginning to the very end of the book. This is just a book of poetic songs. That's all it is. Once upon a time, before we had contemporary music and before we had hymns, guess what we were singing in the church? Psalms. We were singing praise to God according to the word of God. But we need to be careful here. 
We need to be careful about what it is that we sing or what it is that we call a worship song because here's the reality. Just because a song repeats itself does not make it bad. But also, just because a song is heard on the local Christian radio station doesn't mean it's good and right for worship. You see, what makes a song bad for worship is when that song is not biblical at all. I'll give you an example. I was getting ready to graduate seminary, and I was looking forward to my first experience as a pastor, and so I went and interviewed with a church. I had taken with me uh, my new wife, uh, Allison. Uh, we were excited. We were looking forward to it. We were about to graduate. We went to uh, this, this church. looked really cool. looked like a lot of fun. We were very excited to be in our first church. We went into worship, and this is what happened. I kid you not. The first four songs they played were the first four songs off the U2 Joshua Tree album. Now, some of you may be looking at me like, what is that? I'll tell you two things about it. First of all, it's a great album. Secondly, it has nothing to do with worship. I've also heard people come to me and talk to me about how they've been to churches where they had worship, and every song they did in worship was a Taylor Swift song. Now, here's what I can tell you, two things. First of all, Taylor Swift's a good artist. But secondly, her songs are not meant for worship. You see, we need to be careful what it is that we are singing. That's why it's so important to know the Word of God. You see, we know the Word in order to know what it is that is biblical to sing. We know the Word so that we are able to sing praise to God, not only in our private lives, but also in our public lives. Look at Psalm 95, verse 1. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. You see, as believers in Christ, we are without excuse. We are called to sing praise to God. And there is no better way than to sing Scripture to God because that is what the Word points us back to. It points us back to praising God. It points us back to worshiping God according to the Word of Scripture. You see, this is why we sing psalms. This is why we sing scripture here. This is why we sing some of the hymns that we do. It's because we need to be singing the word of God together. Verse 173, the psalmist continues. And let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. Now in this passage, we see that where our delight and our joy should come from. Simply put, we learn our delight and our joy come from knowing the word of God. It starts with singing God, singing to God for his provision and sustainment. And when we sing, it says that, we are, that he lets his hand be ready to help his people. Now, how is he ready to help us? Because we, the believers, have chosen his precepts over all else. Now, from there, we see that the following verses turn back to this longing for salvation, followed by more singing of praise. So, in other words, if we could translate this psalm again, the psalmist is literally saying, let's just worship. Let's just 
honor God with our praise because we have reason to celebrate according to the word of God. Now, why should we be this way? Because the reality is when we open the word of God, according to the psalm in 119, verse 173, we should be delighted for what it is we are about to hear and what it is that we are about to learn. Now, think about this for a moment. Think about this, this being delighted in worship. How offensive is it to say that we believe in Jesus Christ, yet we never take the time to spend with him delighting in his word? Think about how offensive that must be to our Lord and Savior. You see, here's the reality in our world today. We have groups of different religions going out and they are sharing their version of the truth and they do so without fail and without void and yet here we are with a truth that comes from the living God, a truth that comes from a hope that can be found in Jesus Christ and yet when we leave this place we will walk through this week and never share one word with anyone. How offensive that must be to know that we have the truth, capital T, truth, and yet we barely take the time to give him a Sunday morning. Where is our delight? You see, delight, if I could define it real quick, would be something that we take great pleasure in or something that we are pleased greatly by it. So here's the question. When we view time in the Word, when we view teaching the Word, does it honor God when we view it as another thing to check off our list? Because if that's why we're here, then there is no longer a delight in what it is we're doing. When we are just here at church opening our Bibles because that's what we're supposed to do, then this is not something we take pleasure in. We are simply walking through the motions our faith is now dead. Our faith is now crowd-pleasing. And both of these things will ultimately lead to death. But you see, the psalmist in Psalm 119 is not done here. He goes to verse 176 and writes, For I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Now, when we, according to this verse, when we approach the Word of God, we should approach it humbly, knowing that we are sinners in need of grace. You see, the person who understands their deep need of grace is one who will not forget his commandments, according to verse 176. You see, the Word reminds us of our wretchedness. For our students, you've been walking through on Sunday night Genesis. If you read Genesis 3 and Genesis 6 correctly, you will see that we are wretched sinners before God. Yet it is also the word that reminds us of our need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. We see him throughout the Gospels. We also see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. You see, the word reminds us of our wretchedness, and yet it calls us to the righteousness that can be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
That is why the word is so important. You see, people need this book. But let me just show you something, if I could, for a moment. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, I hope you're still right there in Psalm 119, verse 169. Don't tune this out. Don't miss this part, because look what happens in the original language. Look what happens here in the original Hebrew. You see, we can actually take these words. We can take the word law and statutes, commandments, precepts, and rules, and watch what happens in the original language when we read it again. Psalm 119, verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your word. My tongue will sing of your word, for all of your word is right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your word. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your word is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your word help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your word. You see, the word needs to be a priority. When we read Psalm 119, 169, verses 176, we can take statutes, laws, commandments, precepts, rules, and they all come back to the same word, and it is word. The word needs to be our guide. And so we need teachers of the word. We need singers of the word. We need doers of the word. At this time, I'm going to go ahead and ask our band to come back up and join me on stage. And as they do, I want to close out with these words for you. You see, here's the reality of the local church. We can't teach the word faithfully. We can't teach the word faithfully or do what it says if we are not willing to study it, if we are not willing to know it, if we're not willing to memorize it, and if we're not willing to spend time delighting in it. And the reality is, in our country today, we have too much access to the Word of God. We have the Bible app. We have the version. We have the Read Scripture app. We have study Bibles. We have chronological Bibles. We have theology Bibles that focus on specific theologies. We have uh, apologetic Bibles. In other words, we are without excuse when it comes to reading the Word of God and spending time with God and delighting in Him through His Word. So you see, at Southside Baptist Church, it's not simply about being together as one. It's about being a people who teach faithfully. So let us be known as people of the book. May we read the word faithfully. May we delight in his word. 
May we be humbled by his word. And may we sing praise and worship God through his word. May our worship to the living God of the Bible be worship according to his word. And then and only then may we teach the word faithfully and share the word with others. Let's pray together.